It's been an honor and a thrill to be part of this program. And uh, I've loved every minute of it. And uh, <laughs> you've watched me love it <laughs> in particular. Um, and it's, it's, it's exciting that, that there's such a future uh, uh, here. on a Thursday. Happy Thursday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour two of the program. Brady Henderson, ESPN Seahawks insider, normally our Friday guy. We had to bump him up to Thursday with the Pete Carroll news. He's going to join us in just a moment here. Kick off hour two. Hour two is brought to you by Primetime Craft Beer. Meticulously brewed for quality and taste, Primetime Craft Beer is full flavor without compromise. You can find it at a liquor store near you or visit the brewery to see how it's made. We are coming to you live from the Kintec studio. Kintec Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? Kintec. Let's go to the phone lines. Brady Henderson joins us now on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Morning, Brady. Anything new? Uh, no, not a whole lot. What's up with you guys? Oh, nothing much. I'm going to say we came in this morning all prepared to, you know, talk at length about Pete Carroll uh, parting ways with the organization, his legacy, what it all meant. And then the Bill Belichick thing happened. So that kind of threw everything off kilter. And I was kind of holding off on some of the conversation so we could get you on the phone to answer some of these questions because I have a lot of questions about what happened with Pete Carroll and the Seattle Seahawks. So first... Why did this parting of ways happen now, and how unexpected was it? Well, I I did not think it would happen only, you know, once Monday passed and, you know, he was still the coach, just because it seems like a lot of those coaching changes happen uh, on Monday. And and if, you know, an organization kind of has an idea that it's going to move on from a coach, a lot of times does it Monday, but not necessarily, I think. You know, Mike Vrabel, I believe that was Tuesday. So, um, you know, sometimes it happens a few days after the the day after the season ends. And I think in this case, you know, they had their end of season meetings like they typically do. You know, Pete Carroll and John Schneider do with Jody Allen. And um, it's not surprising in the sense that, you know, look, this is clearly a team that had kind of gotten stuck in a rut of mediocrity. Um, for, you know, they are in a position, we should say, that a lot of NFL teams would trade places with just the success they've had, um, not just over the past 14 seasons, but even over the past nine seasons, you know, since they made the, the two straight Super Bowls, a lot of teams would trade places with the Seahawks there. Um, you know, the, whatever it is, six playoff appearances in that stretch. But, um, you know, it's, it's clearly a team that had not, had shown it was incapable of taking that next step of, you know, not just being a good team, but a team actually capable of, making a deep run in the playoffs. And um, we all know they had not gotten past the divisional round since they made that second straight Super Bowl. Um, they were 25 and 27 over the last three seasons, including that playoff loss uh, last year in San Francisco. And so, um, and the other thing is, you know, you heard Pete Carroll on his radio show on Monday, um, just kind of sounds, I don't want to say delusional, but just, it just didn't really have a convincing argument that this team was, um, was going in the right direction. I think they asked him, you know, does he feel like the Seahawks are closer now than they were a year ago to the Super Bowl? 
And he said yes, but it, he really didn't give any convincing uh, argument as to why, and, and there really isn't one just based on what we saw this season. And so um, I, I think he was probably trying to sell himself, uh, you know, sell that vision to Jody Allen, and I just don't think he made um, a convincing enough argument. Um, have you heard anything behind the scenes about who, in fact, was pushing the most for change? Jody Allen, uh, the chair of the team, the owner of the team. There's Chuck Arnold, who's the president, and John Schneider, the executive vice president and general manager. Was it all three of them together? Or have you heard maybe it was Jody Allen who was pushing the hardest for change? Um, yeah, I, I talked to somebody who, who kind of has it in there, and, and he seemed to be under the impression that it was that this was Jody Allen's call um, and as opposed to John Schneider's call. Now, I don't think Chuck Arnold really had a whole lot to do with it. He's more on the business side. Um, I, I don't know if he would be that involved in a decision like this, um, maybe to some degree, but I, I just think this was more of a Jody Allen decision above all else, although I don't. I don't necessarily think that John Schneider was opposed to it. I think this guy has been waiting, you know, a long time for his opportunity to truly run a, an organization. And, and as well as seeing Pete Carroll worked um, over the you know, last 14 years, and as well as they made that kind of atypical arrangement work, I think Schneider is, has been ready for a while now to, to really have full control. And he's going to get to hire the head coach and he's really going to get to run the show. And I would anticipate that whatever coach they hire, um, it's going to be a more typical front office arrangement where the GM has final say. You know, the GM hires the head coach and then has final say in personnel decisions, and the head coach coaches. Um, again, they made that atypical arrangement work, but I just think that a lot of the decisions that they made, a lot of the big decisions that they made, or at least some of the big decisions over the last few years that didn't work out would have gone differently because the decisions themselves would have been different um, had John Schneider been running the show um, and and not you know Pete Carroll stepping in and saying hey yeah we need to do this or we need to do that so this is a big opportunity for John Schneider and it's one that he's been waiting for but I don't know if that necessarily means he was pushing Jody Allen hard uh, for this move to happen. Do you think it's possible that Pete lost the room or that Seahawk culture isn't what it used to be? Yeah, I, I think that's possible and. You know, it, and I say that because this is a team that clearly has underachieved. Now, I, I don't think you would look at their roster talent-wise and say that they should have, you know, been right there with the 49ers this season. I, they, they just, they're just not there. The 49ers are so far ahead of them talent-wise. But I also think that this team should have been better than 9-8, and eight, even with the injury situations that they dealt with, with, you know, Chen and Owosu and uh, the offensive line. They should have been better. They should have been a more consistent team than they were uh, this year. And so that tells me that, you know, they weren't getting the most out of their players. And, and I think part of that could be that Carroll just was not reaching them. And it was a pretty young team overall, not, you know, not as young as I think some of their explanations made it sound. And, and, you know, Carroll, I think towards the end of the season was asked, you know, what was one of the, what, what's the biggest challenge of coaching this team? And he talked about how young they are and, and, you know, he, w- he would make it seem like, you know, they were the youngest team in the NFL. They were young in spots, but overall, if you look at, like, the snap-weighted ages of their offensive defense, that you know, they weren't in the top five in, in either um, on either side of the ball. So, But they were young in spots, and it just seems like he was having a hard time really getting through 
uh, to some of the younger players. And so, um, yeah, I think I think that is a very valid question. We're speaking to ESPN's Brady Henderson here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Our Seahawks insider talking about Pete Carroll out in Seattle after 14 years. Uh, we'll get to the future of the organization and the coaching position in a second here, Brady. But one more question on Pete Carroll and his future. Uh, what does it look like now? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I get the distinct impression that the the whole advisory role thing was really just a way um, – to kind of give him uh, a graceful exit, you know, and, and Hey, it's, it's, you know, he's, they're moving him into an advisory role as opposed to they're just outright firing him. And, and look, they, they're, it was always going to, they were always going to have to, you know, do that delicately. And, and, uh, you know, it, it always seems like whenever the Seahawks did move on from Pete Carroll, that they would do it as respectfully as possible and that they would do anything they could to avoid just outright firing the best coach and best coach in franchise history. And so, you know, this um, this advisory role just kind of seems like an ostensible situation where, um, you know, maybe they, they just basically keep him around and uh, he's part of the organization. But, you know, he said that the role itself is yet to be determined. He didn't really have any details on it. Uh, one detail we know is that it's not going to entail him assisting John Schneider in the search for his replacement, which that makes sense because that would be pretty awkward. You know, a guy who clearly did not want to give up the job. Um, you know, you know, I don't know if you necessarily want him helping, you know, pick the replacement uh, when he just never wanted to leave the job in the first place. And so, um, and the other part of that is that it's pretty clear that Carroll still feels like he can coach and he made it clear, um, you know, the last, after the game on Sunday and then again on Monday that he still wants to be the coach of the Seahawks. He was not blowing smoke there. And he, he stood by that um, yesterday at his news conference. And he also talked about how, you know, jacked up and fired up. He still is at 72. And so he sounds like a, a guy who still wants to coach. And I asked him at one point if the right opportunity arose elsewhere, if he would entertain that. And he said, you know, he didn't know. He said, we'll see. Uh, but today is about today. And so by no means did he shoot down the possibility that, you know, some team could come calling and that he would he would be interested in taking that job. I mean, the one that comes to mind is the Chargers just yeah. because of the, his L.A. ties. Um, I know they, they could kind of be in salary cap hell for the next couple of years just with some massive contracts and massive cap hits. But there's the L.A. tie. There's the fact that you've got a franchise quarterback in Justin Herbert. And so and there's the fact that he clearly still, you know, has the desire to coach. And so um, that would not surprise me if, if he entertains that thought. Uh, who's going to be in the mix to replace Pete Carroll as the next Seattle Seahawks head coach? Yeah, I mean, the the, the one name we've heard, uh, you know, that is really like a firm news report about them being interested is Dan Quinn. And, and all along, you know, as Pete Carroll's coaching future has kind of come into question the last few years, Dan Quinn is, is the, the one name that has really made sense all along um, just because he's got a pre-existing relationship with John Schneider and that GM head coach relationship um, that's hugely important. And, and uh, you know, if John Schneider is making this move, John Schneider is going to want a guy that he is totally comfortable with. And so it's, it makes total sense that Dan Quinn is the first and to this point, the only name that has emerged um, as a possible candidate, as opposed to, you know, not counting just the, you know, the names that people, some people throw out as, as possibilities, but this is, there is a hard news report saying that the Seahawks will be interested in Dan Quinn. So, um, yeah, it, it makes total sense. 
um, I, you know, I think there is merit to the idea of mm-hmm. when you're in a division with Sean McVay uh, and Kyle Shanahan that you, maybe it would be best to go with an offensive line who can keep up with those offenses. But just from a relationship standpoint, track record standpoint, Dan Quinn makes a whole lot of sense. And look, I, I think the biggest reason why the Seahawks are in this position of trying to find a new head coach is because their defense has deteriorated over the last nine seasons. Mm-hmm. And, you know, who better than to revive that than the guy who last coached, you know, some of the last great Seahawks defenses in Dan Quinn. So um, that that move would make a ton of sense to me. Let's say it is Dan Quinn, hypothetically speaking, just for the purposes of this question that takes over as head coach. Um, aside from defense in general, what's his first priority got to be? Well, it's, yeah, I mean, he's got to figure out the coaching staff and the coordinators, and I, I, I just don't see uh, Shane Waldron or Clint Hurt being back. I mean, typically a coach is going to want to bring in his own guys, and, and, you know, a lot of times there is some carryover, like a new coach will come in and retain, you know, a few coaches um, on the staff. I think Pete Carroll did that with Gus Bradley in 2010. Gus Bradley, uh, he, he was one, one of the, if not the only coach that Carroll kept around, but uh, in this case, I mean, Waldron's and Hurts' futures were both going to be in pretty big question if Carroll had stuck around. So I just don't see either of those guys. I, I don't see either. I, I don't see whatever new head coach uh, they bring in. I don't see John Schneider and that new guy <laughs> keeping either of those guys. And then the other one is is going to be Geno Smith. Yeah. Um, I think I think Geno Smith did a lot, uh, especially over the second half of the season, to to try to solidify his spot on the roster next season and if Pete Carroll was still the coach I would feel pretty good about that just because it's clear you know how Carroll feels about Gino and he at one point you know a few weeks ago called him one of his all-time favorites and he's defended him at every turn this season amid some of the struggles and so it seemed like if Pete Carroll was going to be the coach that Gino Smith was going to be the quarterback and he still might be but I think you know his his spot on the roster just seems to me a little less secure uh, than it did you know now that Carroll is no longer going to be around. And so whoever it is, the new coach and Schneider are going to have to figure that out by February 16th, because that's the date uh, five days after the Super Bowl. Uh, that's when, if he's still on the roster, then his $12.7 million base salary for next season will become fully guaranteed. And, you know, the, you, you don't see teams keep a guy past the date at which his salary, uh, that much of the salary will become guaranteed because, there's no point in moving on from a guy after you've already, you know, once you've already got to pay him anyway. So, um, you know, whenever that head coach uh, arrives, he and John Schneider are going to have to figure out whether Geno Smith is the guy. Yeah, I'll, I'll be curious to see with the new head coach, you know, the new, a new head coach usually comes in and he's got, you know, security for at least a couple of years um, unless things go terribly wrong. Um, with Pete, it was always understood that next season was about winning next season was about winning, next season was about winning, right? And as long as he was the head coach of the Seahawks, the Seahawks were going to do pretty much everything they could to make sure that the team was competitive. Could you see that philosophy change? And I'm talking about the quarterback position because you can make the argument that Geno Smith is the best option if you want to remain competitive. But if you want to take a more long-term view, then maybe you spend some draft capital on a quarterback uh, in this year's draft, and that kind of philosophy changes to maybe next year isn't all about winning, maybe it's about developing. 
That is a great question, and, and it's one that I thought a lot about last night is, you know, will this team, now that Pete Carroll, the, the guy who says always compete and the guy who lives by that, you know, now that he's no longer around, would they, you know, be more open to embracing a true rebuild? And, you know, and, and look, I don't think a true rebuild is what they need because they've got a pretty young roster, and so it's not like you've got a ton of uh, veteran salaries that you would need to get rid of and, and, and turn turn it over to completely young players because you're already playing a lot of young players. But, um, you know, we've heard John Schneider say over the over the years that they, they haven't wanted to be one of those teams that dips up and down. You know, one of those teams that you know, might win 12 games one season and then win five games the next season. And, and I think, you know, one of Carroll's best accomplishments is that um, as as volatile as some teams have been in the NFL over his tenure, I mean, he never lost fewer than seven games. And I think it takes a, a, a really good coach to avoid the bottom falling out. You know, when you have a tough season and you have adversity and you have all sorts of things going wrong, like the bottom never fell out so much that they lost more than seven games, which I think is a pretty good, if not underrated accomplishment. But um, yeah, I, I do wonder if, if now that Carroll's no longer here, if maybe they would, you know, completely go young and not just do sort of a retooling, but a rebuild. Um, and maybe that means going with a younger quarterback. We know that John Schneider has, uh, you know, kind of an affinity for Drew Locke. Um, he was the guy that uh, they wanted in the Russell Wilson trade. The reason why he wanted to trade Wilson to Denver was because Locke was the quarterback he wanted in return. And so, um, you know, look, everybody realizes that Geno Smith gives them a better chance to win right now than Drew Lockwood if, if, if it's between those two guys starting next season. But I think, you know, maybe there's a thought that, hey, could your roster be better overall? Could your team be better overall if you're paying Drew Locke, you know, $5 million, $6, 7000000 million on a one-year deal to start versus paying Geno Smith $22.5 million? And you know, the difference in skill between those two guys, could that be made up by, um, you know, the 15 or so million dollars that you're saving and, and you're able to spend elsewhere? So um, that is that is an interesting question that they're going to have to figure out. And again, they're going to have to figure it out by February 16th. Uh, I, I want to close with the, the legacy conversation. And, you know, th- there's the obvious platitudes that are out there is the greatest Seahawks coach of all time, you know, all that kind of thing. But from a personal perspective, Brady, because you've basically covered and if I'm not mistaken, you kind of broke in on this beat and with working in sports in Seattle around the same time that Pete Carroll took over as the head coach. Yeah. And now 14 years later, he's leaving. So what's it been like covering him for the, you know, a decade and a half and how weird will it be covering a Seahawks team not coached by Pete Carroll next season? Yeah, it, it's been a lot of fun. And, and, you know, he's the only coach I've really covered, you know, full time. And I, I've, I've kind of pitched in on some other teams and, and gotten to see how other coaches operate. But just on a day-to-day basis, he's the only one. And it, it has really been, it's really been a lot of fun. And I think the same reason why players really love playing for Pete Carroll, I think that's one reason why I have enjoyed covering him. And that reason is he's the same guy every day. And you always know walking into a press conference, you know, what you're going to get. You're going to get a guy who's upbeat and who is helpful and, and um, you know, willing to be insightful and to help you out with injury stuff. Like some coaches aren't really, really willing to do that. And um, you never really walk into a Carroll press conference feeling like you got to walk on eggshells like I imagine people in New England have done for the last 24 years. And so um, he, now he certainly can be 
uh, verbose, and sometimes it's been a nightmare to transcribe him uh, <laughs> just because it takes forever. But, you know, you would take that over the alternative of a guy just standing up there and being dour and grumpy and, um, and giving you nothing. And so, you know, Carol, I, I think, has always had a realization of kind of how we do our jobs and how he can help us do our jobs. And, you know, there's been so many great, like, anecdotes over the years that he'll tell you and, and really expand on a lot of things. And, um, you know, you just sort of live with the, the nightmare transcribing situations and some of the, you know, over-the-top praise for some players. And, um, you know, you take, you take that knowing that overall he's been a, a very enjoyable coach to cover. Well, Brady, this was supposed to be our last hit of the season, but I anticipate we'll probably be calling you uh, relatively soon once we find out who the new head coach is going to be, maybe who the new coordinators are going to be. But uh, I will say you did a terrific job covering the team this season. It's always great getting you on. You got tons of insight. So thank you very much for doing this for another season. And like I said, it's goodbye, but probably not for that long because we'll probably be calling you really soon. Well, I hope so. Yeah, I mean, there's there's going to be no shortage of news to cover and to talk about. And so, uh, yeah, you guys call me anytime. I love coming on the show with you guys and, and talking football and talking Seahawks. So thank you for having me. And, yeah, hopefully it's uh, not too long before we talk again. Thanks, Brady. Appreciate thanks, it, bud. Brady. See you. All right, thanks, guys. See you. Uh, Brady Henderson, ESPN Seahawks insider here on the Halford & Breath Show on Sportsnet 650. It's always a scary time for an organization to move on from such a long-tenured head coach. Um, the Seahawks have actually had quite a bit of organizational stability even before Carroll. I know there was that one year of Jim Mora. But Very before, forgettable one year right, of Jim Mora. But, but, but they moved on quickly. They are like, this isn't working. You're not good at this. Um, and But before that, they had Mike Holmgren for a, a decade and some very successful uh, seasons with Mike Holmgren too. Uh, I think about the Vancouver Canucks. They went from Mark Crawford uh, for quite a long time for a hockey coach, yeah. right into AV yeah. for quite a long time for a hockey coach. Uh, but then there was a little bit of uh, up and down. And there <laughs> was had, some instability behind know, the bench. They had Torts and Willie and Travis and Bruce. And now hopefully um, you're going to have some stable years under Rick Talkin. But you, you just never know. It is. Right? It is. It's scary. I'm glad you brought this up. It's like, going, it's like when they traded Russell Wilson. Now you're in the wilderness. You don't know who your long-term quarterback's going to be. Yeah, I'm glad you brought this up because uh, organizational stability, it means a lot across all of the sports. Now, the NFL is a lot different in, in a lot of different ways. Um, I think part of and we were talking about this at the break, part of this coaching stability in the NFL is because, rightly or wrongly, uh, you can dispose of players whenever you want. Yeah, it's a lot easier to make changes in the NFL than it is in the NHL. Like, there's a reason why so, Ryan Nugent Hopkins has had 27 different head coaches <laughs> in, in Edmonton. It's because they, you can't do a lot to shake up a team in the NHL other than get rid of the coach. Especially lately under the flat cap. Right? It's like, so, we, can't, we can't even trade this third-pair defenseman because he's making $1.7 million. Yeah, our hands are tied. <laughs> it's gummed up the whole system. We can't do anything. I always joke, it took the Canucks five paper transactions just to get Mark Friedman into the mix. <laughs> Remember that? Anyway, I digress. Um, with the NFL, the coaching stability, it does give you a sense of, though, that um, familiarity, and there's a guy in charge, and he's not always looking over his shoulder at his replacement because he knows that he's going to be able to implement things and instill certain things. And now, all of a sudden, with the Seahawks, you're looking at it, I mean, it's if it's Dan Quinn, that is a massive, massive hole to fill because Pete yeah. Carroll was 
the Seahawks. Pete Carroll outlasted the Legion of Boom, and Pete Carroll outlasted Russell Wilson, and he outlasted Marshawn Lynch. He oversaw the changing of the guard. He was, in a lot of ways, the face of the franchise, and it feels weird to say that about the coach. You know, when we were talking about Belichick... No, 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 you don't, you don't get another, you know, we got to go to break. I know. But we got to go to break. I know, we do have to go to break. We, we I was on a roll, but we, we got to go to break. I know. Uh, Barkley Parnetta is going to join us uh, next, uh, the general manager of the Vancouver Giants. The Giants have made some moves, and then uh, we got some time for you to finish that thought and also go into the Dunbar Lumber text line, 650-650. Drancer at 8 o'clock, lots to come on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Talking all Canucks all the time. It's Canucks Talk with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drance. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 7.33 on a Thursday. Happy Thursday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford Bruff the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour two of the program. Giants GM Barclay Parnetta is going to join us in just a moment here. Halfway point of hour two. Hour two is brought to you by Primetime Craft Beer. Meticulously brewed for quality and taste. Primetime Craft Beer is full flavor without compromise. You can find it at a liquor store near you or you can visit the brewery to see how it's made. Uh, the Western Hockey League trade deadline is coming gone. Vancouver Giants were pretty busy yesterday. Joining us now, the man orchestrating all of those trades, Barclay Parnetta here on the Halford and Breath Show on Sportsnet 650. Morning, Barclay. How are you? I just call me Art Vandoy. I'm say, pretty good. Make Just out here making deals, making things happen. Was a big day for you guys yesterday. You make two additions at Forward. Uh, tell us a little bit more about Connor Levis and Tyson Zimmer, what they bring to the group, and how happy you guys are with what you accomplished yesterday. Well, I mean, I mean, first off, we 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 moved out some players that were OG Giants that were really good kids. So that's always a tough day when you do things like that. But the reality of everything for us is is that we're not really where we should be, and it wasn't quite working. So I felt, that as well as the ownership group, I think we felt strongly we really need to add some scoring, and that's what these two players really bring. That they're they both are one shot scorers. Uh, they both have put up good numbers in the league, and and. They both bring a dynamic that's a little different, you know. With uh, with Connor, he's a, a one-shot scorer that's a drafted player, has played through some uh, championship Memorial Cup and uh, put up a lot of banners and Kamloops in his time. So he brings a lot of leadership. And and Z, as I call him, you know what? He's he's paid off already. He scored the shootout winner in in, in Prince Albert, and he's a player too that that was. Uh, you know what? He's still he's still finding his way. He found it in Lethbridge, where he became. Uh, integral part of them sort of scoring and, and, and creating offense. And that's what we need him to do. He's going to be rounds out a, a top older group of a little more dangerous scores for us now. What ultimately led to the decision to be a buyer at the deadline? Well, I mean, that's interesting because you, you go through this. And like I said, I, I don't think we probably thought we'd be in that position. I thought we'd be a little more comfortably into the playoffs. And, and I think that was a push. I think that, uh, you know, we owe the kids in the room and the people that are coming to the games to see that, you know what, uh, last two years we've traded our captains away and we still managed to do quite well. But uh, now we're on the other side of that. It's time to start going the other direction and, and add things and sort of, uh, I'm not going to say hope, but but just the commitment to saying that, you know what, we're, we're taking that step and, and we're getting serious about, you know, building towards this year and next year, not just, you know, three or four years from now. 
Well, you definitely got the goaltending to make something happen. Brett Merwald, uh, second time in three weeks, he's been named the Western Hockey League Goalie of the Week. That happened on Monday. Has he been your most important player this year? Yeah, absolutely. He he really has. I mean, Brett has really... Uh, I give him full credit as well as our goalie coach, Paul Pricker. Uh, Brett committed. I think playing with Jesper last year really helped, and, and it, it sort of showed him a way that a, a pro goalie does things, and Brett really took it upon himself to do those extra things you know, whether it's working out, he, he's quite a leader too. Like he, in our room, he is an older voice and, and, and he backs it up with his performance. So, so when he says things, kids listen to him, he works hard. Uh, I'm proud of him and, and we need him to be good and Hutch to be good. He had a really good game the other night in PA two, where he uh, actually had a really good run in the shootout. He didn't let a goal in there and, and that's gave us a win. So um Pretty happy with the tandem right now. We just have to keep 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 them in line, and hopefully we got to score more goals than them. That's the other thing. He's been stopping them for the most part, but we've got to start putting it in. Rough night last night here in frosty Saskatoon for us. Uh, but other than that, no, he's been great. Um, Jaden Lipinski is a name that we you hear pretty often because of the draft pedigree and the size. and I mean, the fact he's from Scottsdale, Arizona, the home of Austin Matthews and all that. Um, how has his game progressed this year? Because I've noticed that he's been piling up the points as of late. You know what? It's more than points. Jaden's game has really matured. And if you really watch him closely aside from whether he does a toe drag move or a fancy pass, the details of his game are really becoming pro. Uh, the little small things, uh, you know, whether it's a, a, a small puck battle and he makes a play, these are the things that you have to do in pro. Jaden lives in reality and he has a really good self-awareness. Uh, you know, I think Jaden sees himself playing in pro, but he. I don't think you're going to see him thinking that he's going to be a top 10 scorer. So all those other aspects that you need to do at the next level is what he's really focused on working on. And he is a smart, committed kid. He really is dedicated to this. And, and, and I honestly believe Jaden Lipinski is going to be a National Hockey League player. Uh, on the subject of evolving games, Mazden Leslie on the blue line. I believe he's now top 15 in the Western Hockey League scoring defenseman. Uh, how has his game evolved over the last little while? You know, more than his game has evolved, his approach to the game. I think when we first got Mazden, I think he was driven by points and stats. And uh, now Mazden's, you know what, I, I honestly can say, and I, and I don't want to take anything away from the other Giants, but sure. when we're not winning, Mazden really looks like he cares that we're not winning the game and he cares about the Giants. He really has embraced sort of the character of the Giants and, and just that, um, I don't know, he, the angriness, but it's directed towards a team loss as opposed to individual things. He's really become a leader this year, uh, you know, and, and he's stepped up and he's a unique kid. He has a really good perspective on things and, and I'm really proud of him with what he's done sort of mentally and, and the preparation and the commitment to the team game. So he's focused on improving the things that he needs to do, like the defensive end, uh, not just the scoring in order to sort of get drafted or move on to pro. Uh, the tour of beautiful Saskatchewan continues for you and the Giants tomorrow. You're in Regina, and then the night after, you're in Moose Jaw, and then you complete the trifecta, and you can get out of there. Uh, Barclay, thanks a lot for doing this today. We really appreciate it. Best of luck with the rest of the regular season. I'm sure we'll be doing this again in a week or so. Yeah, no, minus 35 today in Saskatoon, so it's a little, little, little bone-chilling cold here. Lord. And then we're on our way to Regina. So. That's ridiculous. <laughs> okay. I'm not even going to say try and enjoy that. There is no human no, way to do that. Just survive it and get home. Be safe. Exactly. Survive it. Perfect. All right, guys, thanks. Thanks, Barclay. Appreciate it. That's Barclay Parnetta, general manager and soon-to-be frozen general manager of the Vancouver Giants here on the Halford & Ruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Brav, I think you might have something 
kind of interesting as it pertains to the Vancouver Canucks and tonight's opponent, the Pittsburgh Penguins. Yeah, we talked a lot about Jake Gensel uh, with Sean Gentilly earlier in the show when we were talking about whether or not the Penguins would make him available at the trade le- deadline uh, because he is their leading scorer. He is a line mate with Sidney Crosby. He al- he's also a pending unrestricted free agent. Funny how that goes when you're talking about something and all of a sudden some relevant news pops up. Emily Kaplan of ESPN, colleagues with Greg Wyshynski, among others, um, just wrote a story about Jake Gensel. And I'm just going to read this right off of Emily's story. One of the most intriguing storylines is what will happen to Jake Gensel. There's a very real chance that one of the most popular and consistently productive Pittsburgh Penguins players gets dealt and the next few weeks are crucial. And Emily's got a quote from Jake Gensel's agent, who we all know. Uh, he's also Brock Besser's agent, Ben Hankinson. Oh, yeah. And he, he said, this will really get heated down the stretch. It's going to get interesting. Don't do the words. <laughs> okay, sorry. Please don't do the He words. said, this no, no, will no, really get heated it. down the stretch. Keep it's going. going to get oh. interesting. Um, and, you know, we've talked about whether or not the Penguins would do this. I mean, considering they're all in. Why wouldn't you just stay all in unless you really, really fall out of the playoffs? But Emily notes that teams I've talked to increasingly believe Gensel will be available. The interest will be massive, and the acquisition cost could be high. Gensel shows up when it matters most. In 58 career playoff games, the winger has 34 goals and a Stanley Cup. I just put up a poll question on Twitter, okay, and I was like, "Oh, should I do this? I'm going to get yelled at." But I, I, I wanted to do it because I wanted to just see what Canucks fans were thinking about the idea of paying for a rental during this season. What's the poll question, friend? Would you trade Hoaglander and Kuzmenko to rent Gensel for the rest of the season? Overwhelmingly, the answer is no. Overwhelmingly. It, overwhelmingly. I'm a little surprised by this, actually, that it's so overwhelming at 84%. Um, and I think I would wager, although I haven't seen the angry replies to this yet, but a lot of it would relate to Hoaglander because I think a lot of people would trade Gensel for Kuzmenko because, I mean, they'd be crazy not to because Kuzmenko... Um, can barely get into the lineup sometimes. Um, and he's only got a year left on his deal before he becomes unrestricted. And he's probably not feeling all that optimistic about re-signing with the Vancouver Canucks. But it's Hoaglander's play over the last little while that people um, have become enamored with. And full credit to Hoaglander, he's played really well. But I would strongly consider doing this deal. Okay. I would strongly consider doing that. Jake Gensel is a heck of a player. And you add him to this Canucks top six... All of a sudden, I'm like, yeah, I would call the Canucks a, a, a cup contender then. Okay, first thing, while the um, the early returns on the poll, it's like Iowa, I guess, right? The early polls from out of Iowa. Um, 83% say no, but you don't have a lot of irate, angry comments. If we're going to take a reflection of social media as to the temperature of the fan base, they're not angry. I think it's an, it's an interesting one for certain. I think what a lot of people are saying is... If it's a rental, that's a high acquisition cost. If you can somehow keep him around, mm-hmm. that changes the conversation. But 
people always want to have their cake and eat it too, right? Like we get these, these Kuzmenko. Yes. Here's a reply from Thomas on Twitter. Kuzmenko. Yes. I'd rather the extra piece be a pick or prospect outside of Vlander or Lecker or Mackey. Oh, okay. So you get to keep everyone. Yeah. Like that's right? not going to happen. Like, <laughs> what a great, not... what a great deal for the Vancouver Canucks. We'll give you a prospect. Could it be one of your best prospects? No, no I would. No, okay. No, no. Here, here's we'll give you one thought. of our bad here's, ones though. But here's my thought on this. I don't want to entertain Jake Gensel beyond a rental if I'm the Canucks. And here's why. It's got less. Well, that's part of it. That's the big part of it is you are talking about a guy right now who is 29 years old and he's going to be 30 in October. He's coming off a deal, which he got paid handsomely, five years, six million per 30 million. So it's not like he's starving, but he's going to want to cash in. And why wouldn't you? He's... Uh, more than a point of game guy. Now, here's what I'll say, and I've said this, made this argument about a lot of guys that hit free agency when they're 30. You may very well have seen the best that Jay Gensel's ever going to play in the National Hockey League. Jay Gensel may be a past tense guy. Do you, you know what I mean by that? He's currently good, though. Right. But yeah, you would run into the same contract risk that's the Canucks faced when they resigned J.T. Miller. Now, J.T. Miller right now might be playing some of the best hockey yeah. ever, and that's great. The contract. People might, taking the victory laps on that, by the way, are a little, uh, a little early. A little early. It's the first year of his deal. Let's just all hold on, okay? <laughs> anyway. Can you get Gensel at a contract that makes you not worry or not panic on the back half? I doubt it. I think anyone that signs the guy has to do that tried and true NHL thing where, uh, well, we'll... We'll take the good in the first four years of the contract, and then mm-hmm. we'll stomach the last four years of the contract. It's unfortunate this is the way the cap system works, but it is what it is. So, so you- it's it's hilarious that it's hilarious that the response to this poll question, yes, that is um, overwhelmingly no. So it's now eighty percent no. There's been three hundred votes. So that's pretty overwhelmingly no to the question of would you trade Hoaglander and Kuzmenko to rent Gensel for the rest of the season. I don't think that would get it done. Like mm, I do not think I, that deal would sorry, get it done. I, I, I don't want to throw you in the For, spot. If, if I'm in Pittsburgh, Emily's, Emily's piece. What did she say about the acquisition cost? Other than it'll cost a ton. She just said it could be high. Right. So that's that's the thing. You got to understand that in this market, Penguins are not going to trade Jake Gensel, Sidney Crosby's. Line mate, especially if the Penguins are still kind of close to a playoff race for Kuzmenko and Hoaglander. Right in this market. With the dearth of options available, Gensel becomes a huge prize. Massive. Add on to the fact that you're talking about a team that's in playoff contention, and you know the guy is Sidney Crosby's line mate. Like they're going to be asking for the moon on this one. Now, do you want to go down that road? Given the history of how many rentals make a f- real tangible impact on winning the Stanley Cup, a lot of texters wondering if we could do Raymond Ballard in a second. Uh, make it a third. Okay. Mm. <laughs> make it a third. I don't think that this is in play. I think it's a great it's great sports radio fodder because you can envision it, not just because of where the Canucks are in the standings, but because of their, I mean, the alignment with Pittsburgh. I went through yesterday just as a sort of thought exercise and went through the executive, the coaching staff, and the players. It is crazy how much Pittsburgh influence there is in Vancouver. Yeah. So it's great fodder. The idea, like, would hey, you love to add Jake Gensel? I would to this top six in in my fantasy land. Because Menko and Hoaglander are not in the top six in my in, in, like fantasy land. I would love it. It's just hard 
trying to wrap the your cost head around would be it. too high, and they wouldn't be able to resign him. Like guaranteed, both things would happen. I mean, I just, you would you yeah. pay you would pay way too much, and you would not be back the next mm. year. It would be really so. You would only do I that do, deal. I would do Kuzmenko and Hoaglander in a heartbeat. Well, sure, but Boom, that won't right be enough. But eighty, but eighty percent of Canucks fans wouldn't. I think that that's my point. Yeah, but uh, that but might also change, like change though as the poll. They would only do votes. this if they were one hundred percent sure. Like this team is going to go on a deep run and have a chance at a cup this year. Like what, if, what, if they thought that, then maybe they do it. But even then, you don't have enough to give up without like really hurting your farm. What is the consensus that Hoaglander is going to become? That's do a, a lot of people question. have hopes that Hoaglander question. is going to become a consistent top sixer? Yeah, I guess. Like that scores a lot of goals. I don't know about that. Look, I think very, there seems to, be, seem to be a lot of people that are like really in love with Hoaglander not to do it. I for, think he deserves a ton of credit for what he's done this year. Totally. Because he was on the outside looking and in going into this year. I'm not saying he doesn't deserve right? credit. So yeah. there's that part of it. And I think the fan base, I mean, you've also got that knee action that the fans love our guys, yeah. our Canucks. And he, just, and he just scored a terrific goal against the Rangers. You know? And he's young and he's cheap. Yeah. So all those things make mm-hmm. sense. And I, look, and I'm dropping a look nice and early here. When... Rick Tockett threw the gauntlet down for a number of different players. Some responded and some didn't. Hoaglander's in the uh, previous category. He absolutely responded to the challenges put forth by his coach, and he's been rewarded. I think he's got, uh, I think he's a really intriguing player for a lot of other teams because he's cheap, he's young, and he's cost controlled. Mm -hmm. And he ain't getting a free agency for a good long while, unrestricted free agency, that is. So he's an asset. At this point, he's a he's a legitimate asset, especially for teams that maybe for sure is. need to start looking forward. Now, here's There's the upside wild, in him too. The, the wild card in all of this is Kyle Dubas, because Dubas was brought on to be the president of Hockey Ops, and then he he interviewed all the candidates for GM, and he's like, "I found the best one. His name is Kyle Dubas. He's got a seven year contract, and he is tasked not just with." You know, keeping the present hopes alive, but also making sure this team doesn't completely crater in three to four years when it's time to. They're well, going to go ne- through. How about, some, how about next season when well, they're, they're going to? They're, they're going to. Well, yeah, because they're going to. They're going to miss out on some players or not yeah, miss like, out. They're going to not be able to resign like key Jake, players, like Jake Gensel, possibly. Well, how about that whole third line? Yeah, I know. Uh, I mean, Garland could still be a salary cap dump in the off season. Uh, Bluger's a pending UFA who's played really well. Mm-hmm. And Dakota Joshua is going to be the most expensive of all of them. That's what I'm saying. And they, and yet you're going to afford a bunch of money. But that third uh, line is so important, too. I know, but that's right? what I'm saying. You're yeah. going to, but in the same breath, it's like, and when you say that, you're like, well, then you can't trade for Gensel and resign him because then you're just adding more money. With all due respect to how good I'm not Besser even considering resigning Gensel. My whole entire thing, just I rental. would do that in a heartbeat, that trade for a rental okay. for the rental. Sure. I'm, I'm with People you. have forgotten how much it costs to actually buy the trade deadline. Yeah, it's like, going to be a it's lot. A, it's expensive, right? And especially when you're talking about a player like Jake Gensel, who is an all-star. Mm-hmm. Like he's a legitimate. He's the leading scorer on the Penguins. I know, he plays with Sidney Crosby. Wouldn't you want to see what he can do with Elias Pettersson or GT Miller? Like, No one's curious about that? Jake Gensel, Jake Gensel has more points than future Hart Trophy winners. Yeah, you see what I did there again. Though there's no way um, that it gets it done. Though it's just not enough. Mark and, and I know, and, hey, yeah, and, and yeah, Vancouver. people people in Vancouver apparently eighty percent are like, "You'd be crazy to do that." And Penguins um, are like, "I'm not taking." Yeah, Penguins are like, hey, no way, not mind? a chance. Mark, they would get so many better offers. Mark in White Rock just texted in, and I, we do need to address this. As for the trade deadline rental for the Canucks, Mark writes. 
Corey Perry, Corey Perry, and Corey Perry. So we do need to address this because yesterday, uh, Freed reported the news that Corey Perry, while not officially um, banned or sanctioned from playing in the NHL, was essentially, for all intensive purposes, yeah, yeah, I know, uh, he was reinstated. He met with NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman yesterday. He is now cleared to sign with a new team. He was not technically ineligible to play, but teams definitely wanted to know if he was going to be, quote-unquote, okay through the NHL and the commissioner as they would have been wary of signing him unless the league gave its blessing. I'm not going to lie. That does make sense for the Vancouver Canucks in terms of what they could afford, what they need, what he brings. And what talk it would probably want to add to this group. Now, mm-hmm. I'm not advocating for it. I'm not. Look, I'm, I'm trying to remove myself and look at this objectively. It just does tick a lot of boxes and does make a lot of sense. Now, it's probably going to make a lot of sense for a lot of other NHL teams as well. But if you're a team that uh, has playoff aspirations, wants to add to the group, doesn't have a ton of assets that it can send out the door, doesn't have a ton of money that it can spend, that is an option. I'll say that. Uh, anyway, go read Emily's piece up at ESPN.com. It's about Jake Gunsel, and it also adds uh, a little bit to the Cutter Gauthier story um, out of Philly with one longtime front office exec telling Emily, I've never seen anything like it. Uh, so good reporting from Emily and certainly a good talking point heading into the Canucks game. In Pittsburgh tonight against Jake Gensel and the Pittsburgh Penguins. A bunch uh, of Canucks going to be pitching him like real estate options and like sending yeah. flyers and stuff. Yeah. No, Except Vancouver's really nice. Hoglander is like, You're, you wouldn't like it. Yeah. Like, yeah. I th- I, and, and Gensel does have some uh, trade control on this. So um, whether or not he even, even agreed to go to Vancouver remains Who to be. wouldn't agree to go to Vancouver? Right? Yeah, a lot of people in the past. <laughs> well, right now. <laughs> Maybe you can't afford a house. Right. It's like, <laughs> true. I only made $30 million on my last <laughs> Uh, We'll talk to Thomas Durant's coming up next on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.